Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello, welcome to the latest in the Sibylline podcast series. I'm Phil Riding, the lead analyst for the Middle East and Africa at Sibylline, and I'm joined today by Ben Manzin, who's our Africa analyst, and we'll be discussing uh, events in Mozambique over the course of the last week. And uh, no doubt many of our listeners will have seen uh, and heard about an attack that unfolded uh, in the northern town of Parma, which had uh, an adverse effect on the development of, of the local oil and gas industry, which involves uh, a number of, of Western majors, including a French giant Total. So, Ben, why don't you give us a background on the events of the last week? And could you tell me whether the attack that we saw from last Wednesday to Sunday was the sort of the culmination of a, a campaign or was this something that happened out of the blue? Right, yeah, thanks, Phil. The group in question, al Jama, has been active in the region, Cabo Delgado, in the north of Mozambique since 2017 and has grown significantly, attracting the attention of international jihadist groups, notably Islamic State, which has claimed the group's activity under its umbrella, umbrella group, Islamic State in Central Africa. Growing from kind of small-scale attacks on isolated military positions and ambushes along roadways, They saw a significant spike in capabilities last year when they began to seriously contest urban centres in in the Cabo Delgado region, most notably taking the town, the coastal town of Makimba de Praia last year. Since then, they have continued to um, pressure urban centres throughout the region, most notably over recent months, Palma, which is obviously the town closely located uh, ne- next to uh, major international gas developments on the Afungi Peninsula, where Total is currently building infrastructure to refine and and uh, extract nat- natural gas from nearby offshore basins. This campaign has largely taken the form of a of a siege over several months, with frequent attacks across villages and roads in an effort to kind of cut off supplies to the town, which then culminated on the 24th of March with the assault. This began at about four o'clock in the afternoon with three groups of fighters attacking attacking from multiple directions, prioritizing attacks on banks, military positions, and then also a systematic attack on a number of, of civilian households where they conducted some specific executions. This continued for a number of days, resulting in a attempt by expatriates and and contractors working at the local Afungi Peninsula developments to, to escape their hotel, the Amarula Hotel, in the north of the town. This was partially unsuccessful, with at least seven of those trying to escape being killed by the insurgents. It wasn't until about Sunday on the 28th of March where troops from the, uh, the troops based at the Afungi Peninsula actually engaged militants or pu- pushed back into the town and began to drive them, drive them back, although reports indicate that fighting continued until at least Monday. Thanks for that, that narrative. I, I think that you know, the events that will have caught most attention uh, overseas, particularly in, in the UK and, and to some degree in the, the US as well, will be the, the attack on the Amarillo Hotel that you, that you mentioned there. 
which sort of sounded like a, a siege, went on for several days. And you know, clearly a, a number of Western nationals as well as South Africans were in the hotel. Some tried to escape, some were killed. Obviously, some were, were rescued by the Mozambican armed forces and the South African contractors that, that have been helping them out from the, uh, the Van Dyke group over the course of, of the last couple of months. And so uh, with that in mind, would you say that the events at the Amarola signal that this is a kind of an evolution in the the next stage of the insurgency in Mozambique you know is this an evolution in terms of the ASWJ's uh, tactics their targeting of expats or is this just you know an escalation that's consistent with the trajectory of the last couple of years? Well actually no I, I wouldn't say that's the case because what we saw in the attack was actually reflected what we know already about their about their priorities and their tactics so when the attack began, they focused on police stations, they focused on securing their financial resources, i.e. attacking the banks. They focused on securing their own local influence, targeting civilians who they perceived to be unwelcoming to their objectives. And it was only in the days afterwards, when the fighting became more indiscriminate throughout the town, that these expatriates and contract workers were actually, ta- were actually targeted. Again, not during an, an assault on the hotel, but while they were attempting to flee through the town to, towards the Afunji Peninsula. So I, I don't think this does actually represent a, a shift in their targeting. Similarly, it, it, this isn't the first time we've seen contract workers caught up in fighting. There have been numerous other instances where contractors have been using, making use of, of overland routes and have been, have been ambushed by Arsenal Wajima fighters. So this doesn't actually represent a change in that this is the first time something like this has happened, nor does it seem to reflect the shift in, their, in the group's priorities, which still seem to be about contesting the government's control of territory. It, it, it seems that, you know, that, that their primary interest in Palma largely isn't connected to the gas developments nearby, but largely is about controlling a, a significant urban hub in the area, which is, significant, which is important for trafficking routes and, and maritime connections to all these illicit revenue streams, which they utilize to develop themselves. Similarly, the claim by IS that that this was a group conduct this was an attack conducted by themselves and that their fighters captured the town also seems to represent a continuation of a trend that we've already observed that the connection between IS and this group seems to be primarily based in rhetoric rather than actual um, meaningful collaboration the statement made on the on the monday was very g- generic clearly derived from open source media and and, and, and appeared to be being made as the fighting was actually in its, in its kind of declining stages. It, it didn't come as the group was most prominent into the town, but actually as the military was pushing the group back, which seems to underline a kind of disconnect between the fighters on the ground and IS headquarters. Similarly, that is reflected in the equipment that the group continues to use. They make use of weapons that they um, captured in raids. And while some, something, something has been made about the fact that this attack seemed to make use of mortars, with some questioning whether or not these could have been captured from the Mozambican military, which doesn't make much use of this particular armament, it's still possible that this was captured in, in other raids because 
obviously Arsenal Wajama has conducted cross-border raids on Tanzanian um, on Tanzanian border posts. So it's entirely possible that even if this equipment wasn't captured from the Mozambican military, this was captured from Tanzania. As such, it, it demonstrates that the equipment this group uses isn't fund isn't brought in from external sources. It's not externally funded, but actually captured captured locally um, during their raiding exercises. So there there are many elements of this attack which seem to actually underline a kind of continuation of ongoing trends and tactics, where there were some slight variations, such as it's believed that the group entered the town over several days and actually stayed with residents. Even in this instance, this seems to be simply a kind of a a slight increase in efficiency to tactics that we already know that they were using. Before capturing Mokimba de Praia, they spent, they, they conducted a number of raids on the town and clearly engaged in efforts to increase their local support base. They handed out food, they handed out resources. It's likely that they used their influence to develop their inter- intelligence and better coordinate their attack. So we, we've seen them in the past utilizing local local influence and local intelligence and and local resources. And again, we see them doing that in this attack on Palmer, even if the the way in which they do that slightly changes. So so this attack in many ways, as I've said, represents a kind of continuation of trends and tactics that we've seen before. So more variations on a theme than a a new composition, if you will. What are the next steps then? I I think in looking ahead, we should probably define sort of two strands to, to the forecast. Firstly, you know, what are you looking at next in terms of the progression of the developments on the Afungi Peninsula and the, the gas industry? How will Total and others react to the events in Palma? And then also more broadly at the strategic level, what do you expect to see next with regards to how the Mozambican military and indeed its, its international partners look to address the insurgency going forward, given that whilst, as you say, this might not necessarily be an escalation in terms of the intent of uh, ASWJ, it's certainly sufficiently eye-catching that there'll be an increased degree of of international scrutiny on how Mozambique goes about um, addressing the root causes of the insurgency. Yeah, I mean, to to tackle your your first question, in, in in the immediate aftermath of this attack, Total delayed the resumption of works on the Afungi Peninsula. Now, these had been um, suspended already because back in January, an attack took place quite close to the perimeter, uh, well, basically at the border of the perimeter fence of that site. And at that moment, Total decided to withdraw its uh, personnel from the area. They had just agreed with the government that a 25 kilometer perimeter would be established around the peninsula and encapsulating Palma, of course, on the day that the attack place, this was confirmed. So this is clearly quite embarrassing for Total to have to immediately do a 180 turn on, on this on this pledge to resume work, having this agreement in place. So going forward, they will want, rather than just assurances from the government, the government to have actually secured this perimeter, to have the resources on the ground, to have established th- this zone of protection. So... It seems like until we see a significant improvement in the situation around Palma, these works on the on the gas development will be suspended for an extended period. It, it, obviously, because of the economic importance of this project, the government will, will prioritise this effort. And there are an, there are a number of things which I think will allow it to, it to do this quite successfully. 
in a way that they weren't able to do with Makimba de Praia, for which remains still since last year in the hands of Arsenal Wajama. In this case, they already have a significant military presence on the Afungi Peninsula. And you know, part of the success of the assault on Palma was that, that mil those military resources decided to remain on the peninsula and protect the assets rather than to engage the insurgents that were attacking the town, not at least until the Sunday, as I mentioned earlier. Now that command has been um, expanded the new special um, special control area is this entire 25 kilometer, kilometer perimeter area. Um, and so having that area added specifically into their remit will mean that these troops can no longer just sit passively in this, in this peninsula, but will have to take a more active role and can expect to be reinforced in that. Also, the, the government has reorganized some of its military structures in, in, in the area, putting the command of the operations in Cabo Delgado into the, into the hands of the military, where previously responsibility was split between the police and the, armed, and, and the army, which caused, well, as, essentially, it prevented the, the security forces properly coordinating operations. It led to um, infighting, different groups challenging the authority of one body or the other. That should now reduce, now that the command structure has been simplified a little bit. And going forward, we can expect that the Mozambican armed forces will be supplemented by greater international involvement. Obviously, in the last month, we've seen uh, the U.S. designate Al-Sanawajama, the, the militants in Cabo Delgado, as a terrorist organization due to their alleged connection to Islamic State. This designation will, will likely lead the U.S. to take a more active role in the conflict, or at least develop their contributions to the Mozambican military, as this conflict comes to be seen in the context of the global counterterrorism uh, campaign. Additionally, it will also empower the US's allies to be more competitive in its approach to uh, the conflict. France has already um, called the attack on Palma a, a terrorist incident. Portugal. Um, confirmed that it would be sending 60 of its own special forces to train Mozambican fighters. And as, as we continue to move away further down the line, it's likely that in Western powers in particular will, will seek to bolster Mozambican's armed forces against a, a, a now-designated terror threat. This also comes with an, a number of other, other challenges. Mozambique, the Mozambican government has always been quite resistant to efforts by international partners to develop a broader response to the, to the insurgency, a multilateral response that would address the, the root causes relating to economic disenfranchisement, limited development, political, uh, political dissatisfaction, allegations of corruption, which of course are, are what drives local support for the insurgency. The, the government hasn't wanted to really um, address these challenges because it's concerned that any meaningful efforts to do so would result in greater criticism for government officials, members of, of Freelamo and, and senior members of, 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 of the government. So whilst it has this option to pursue greater bilateral support from Western part partners interested in addressing a developing terror threat, it will continue to shun a more comprehensive multilateral solution, which could be, which could inhibit the government's ability to really 
reduce conflicts in the long term. So in, in effect, the, the, what, what, the, what the designation has done is potentially increased short-term military capabilities, but has reduced the capacity to really clamp down on this conflict in the long term. It, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if, if that payoff is effective, if, if military strength can be developed sufficiently that the government is able to get a handle on this conflict, or if that decision will actually sustain conflict throughout a far longer um, period. Yeah, so I think what we can say from what you've, you've told us today is that there's likely to be some tactical improvements in the short term with regards to the provision of, of security and the efficacy of, of command structures in and around the Afungi Peninsula and the gas industry developments in the north of Cabo Delgado. But obviously, what we're saying really in the medium term is that security focused responses to insurgencies in Africa have been you know, pretty ineffective if we're looking at things like the Sahel, for example, over the course of, of the, la the best part of the last decade with, you know, a 5,000 strong French force supplemented by, you know, local national militaries, uh, you know, has been pretty ineffective there. And so, as you point out, by focusing purely on the, the military battle against ASWJ, the Mozambican military might, or Mozambican government rather, might be um, overlooking opportunities to foster a greater degree of buy-in from local nationals that would ultimately help stymie the insurgents as, as much as, um, you know, the fact that they have to contend with a slightly more com competent uh, Mozambican armed forces. So, yeah, it, it's mixed mixed news, I guess, but um, certainly something that will continue to define the Southern African security environment going forward. And I'm sure we'll return to this topic later in the year. So thank you very much, Ben, for your contributions today. And thank you all for, for listening. And if you have any questions, please get in touch at info at sublime.co.uk. Thank you. Thank you for joining and now we'll be hearing from Amy Reynolds who's one of the senior members of our Insight team about events to watch in the week ahead. So Amy what are you looking out for and what should we expect over the course of the next seven days? Thanks Phil. Yes yeah, so we've got a couple of things on our radar for this week. Firstly starting over in the Asia Pacific region. The Easter weekend brings a potential spike in the latent risk there of Islamic extremists targeting Christian religious activities at churches etc particularly in Indonesia and the southern Philippines, and to a somewhat lesser extent in India as well. The Easter holiday period has been a bit of a flashpoint in the past, not least with the bombings in Sri Lanka two years ago now. So yeah, definitely one to watch there. Although that said, the COVID restrictions in place this year um, should help to mitigate this threat. Okay, and is there anything outside the Asia-Pacific region that you're looking at? Uh, yeah, so not so much in terms of specific upcoming dates, but we do have a couple of other areas that we're watching closely at the moment. So in Nigeria, on the 31st of March, the trial of Islamic Movement of Nigeria leader Ibrahim al-Saksaki recommenced in Kaduna. Um, and our assessment is that this is likely to spur protests from his supporters and may drive clashes with police, which, given their reputation for heavy handedness, could threaten bystanders and property in the vicinity. And then lastly, um, jumping across to Latin America, we've seen clashes between the Venezuelan armed forces and Colombia FARC EP dissidents in the border area um, that have been ongoing since late January of this year. And this violence has already displaced thousands of people um, with many more likely to be affected as the regular clashes continue. Meanwhile, the conflict um, over the control of drug trafficking routes through the area 
also puts Venezuelan security forces at risk, with the potential as well for the conflict to spill over into Colombian border towns. We're also currently putting together a report that touches on this area and the security situation in Colombia more broadly, which will be released soon. Um, so do keep an eye out for that if you have any interests or operations in the region. Okay, thanks, Amy. Well, for all of our listeners, uh, thank you for joining. And if you have any questions, queries, or, or other points for discussion, please contact us on LinkedIn or at uh, info at Thanks for listening. Goodbye.